Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Hi, everyone. Catherine Avery, ProductivityByDesign.com, and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. Today is super exciting because it's our 101st episode of the podcast. And so in honor of that, I thought it would be super fun to bring in someone who's very special to me. And as we're recording this, this is just a few days before Father's Day. And the day that this drops will actually be my father's birthday. So here he is, my father, Bill Johnston. He is the former president and chief operating officer of the New York Stock Exchange, where he was from 1996 to 2001. He actually had a very long career at the New York Stock Exchange prior to being president. Now retired, he's the president of the Residents Association at Plymouth Harbor and sits on the corporate board as well. He also serves on the boards of the Sarasota Institute, a 21st century think tank, and the Boxer Diversity Initiative. He is a graduate of Washington and Lee University, where he has remained active and is an emeritus trustee. He also served on the board of Hollins University in Virginia and was chair of both New College of Florida and Visible Men Academy in East Bradenton. He has been married for nearly 59 years, and he has two children, I'm one of them, and two granddaughters. Welcome. I'm so excited you can be on the show. It's not every day you get to interview your dad. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Catherine, and uh, let's continue the questions. Awesome. Well, we'll do that. So you have a long career on the trading floor and things have changed dramatically. Little known fact for people who are listening, I actually was involved working in the New York Stock Exchange type of arena many, many years ago. I'm going to say late 80s, early 90s. How is the trading floor different now? Well, there's no question about the fact that the trading floor, the physical presence of people on a trading floor, as well as trading as a habit, have changed radically over the years, and in particular in the 20 years since I retired, or almost 20 years since I retired. One can attribute that to or blame it on technology, if you will. Some would say perhaps that blame would be better than attributed to, but let's continue. <laughs> Too funny. What was it like when you were there in the day? I mean, your dad was on the trading floor. I've seen old pictures of grandpa. Be fun to hear a quick story about life on the trading floor in the late 80s, or it was a little crazy. 
it was a little crazy because there was more time for gamesmanship and annex than there was for pure trading. Today's volume basically keeps the the annex down from times that you were there and when it was said that uh, one of the annex might have been it was snowing in New York where a guest would come on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange and while he wasn't or she wasn't looking, her shoes would get powdered with baby powder and everybody would scream out, it's snowing in New York, it's snowing in New York. That kind of antic has long since stopped. Yeah, well, that's a, probably one of the more harmless antics because I remember some doozies. I remember walking onto the trading floor and the guys all had the trading pads and they would write a number from one to 10 and they would rate you as you walk through. This is long before any of the good things we have in place now about sexual harassment. I was always grateful as long as I got above an eight. <laughs> There's no doubt that it was a chauvinistic place, Catherine, in the good old days. And needless to say, that behavior has changed rather dramatically. I think it's been fun for me in my career, even though I mostly work with women now, I spent a lot of time in my life working with men. And my two mentors now are both male. So it's really fascinating to me to see how that background in having worked with men for so long has really served me well in my business. I think one of the things the exchange did well was promote women. There is no question that once uh, in the late 70s, when women were granted access to the floor as members of the exchange, that they played a very, very important role in the growth of the business. And today, I think the percentages are still somewhere around 56% of the wealth in this country is controlled by women. And isn't that an interesting statistic? It's, it's fascinating to me, I think things are really shifting. And I'd be interested in your perspective on financial markets and where you think the economy is going. And I should give a caveat to everybody that my dad and I tend to be a little bearish on things, which is a word in the market, trading markets is a little negative on where the economy is going. I don't know. What do you think? I think we're in for a little bit of a squeeze. I think you're at uh, all-time highs, which yeah. always gives uh, pause if one will think about it for a second. It has been driven by the fact that interest rates are at historical all-time lows as interest rates tend to move back up. And the Fed came out yesterday and announced that they will probably begin to raise earlier in 2023 than was anticipated that there become alternative places for investments uh, that you could own things that were more interest rate uh, sensitive than common stocks. So I'm cautious here. Yeah, I think I'm cautious as well. I know my broker is. And I find one of the things I actually was reading the interest rate this morning, and that's not good news for me, but I'm going to have to just deal with it is that also inflation is, is in, get heavens the words, inflation is going up. And is that temporary or permanent? Hard to say. Definitely hard to say. There's no question about the fact that with employment numbers not being as good as one would expect, i.e. the number of people in actual jobs 
because of what's happened with COVID-19. Needless to say, mothers staying at home to educate children, to keep them out of schools, which they may or may not want to do, has created a job concern that limits the amount of product that can come out of factories and whatever. Yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of factors going on, too. You've also got this ability for people to be getting paid $600 a week. The restaurants are suffering. Any place that hires, I'm going to say lower wage folks, is really struggling to get any kind of employment. I mean, we're seeing it down here. We're in Fenwick Island right now. We're seeing it in the various restaurants. They're just all vastly understaffed. True on all counts, and they've had to change their own business models to deal with it. Talking to one yesterday on the phone up the road in Bethany Beach called Sedona, she is now open only five days a week, but she's giving all of her staff the opportunity to work, which gives them a chance to enhance their incomes. And you were absolutely right. When you're paying people to stay at home, the reluctance to go to work is diminished. I'm waiting for someone to pay me to stay at home. How do we get in on that gig? <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen for me. Of course, when you're my age, uh, every day is Saturday and one can afford to stay at home. Oh, God bless. And you've earned it. That's for certain. I mean, you did a lot of years of very hard work. So you continue to do so on more boards than I can count. Have you stepped off some of these boards yet, Dad? (laughs) Yes, I have stepped off some boards. I made your mother a promise that by age 80, I would be off of all boards. I have not honored that promise in any way, shape, or form, having now... uh, decided to become the president of the Homeowners Association at a continuing care facility in which your mother and I live. That was a three-year gig, which I stepped down as president of that board on January 10th of 2022, and I'm counting the minutes until that is over. And I, I can tell. Years, uh, <laughs> as a past president, and I'm done. Yes, right. But you're still working a lot in the field of education. Education is your mother's and my passion. There's no question about it. I think I've served on seven or eight educational boards, including both my own college, her college. And frankly, post-working years, the ability to go and do things that excite you are much more possible. And you realize that as, as well. So that when we got to Sarasota, the ability to take a look at other colleges down there. And there are four colleges in Sarasota. New College was exciting to me. I went on the board. It was a a government-appointed job. So there were some politics involved as well as uh, the background of being concerned about education. And then the most exciting one that I took on was through a friend who introduced me to a group Uh, called Visible Men Academy, which is an all-boys, K-5, through Title I school, the poorest of the poor, if you will, in East Bradenton, educating about 80% black and brown boys. And they've done a magnificent job of sending them on to better schools after they graduate from fifth grade at that school. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. And I remember growing up and 
I could ask you for anything I needed educationally and you wouldn't have blinked an eye. Now, if I wanted a, something unreasonable, that wasn't going to happen. But it's I think it's been an incredible value you've instilled in both me and my brother because we are both so incredibly pro-education, not just for our kids, but now I sit on a committee at my daughter's high school, which is actually the committee that does, I'm going to forget the word for this, uh, and not endowment, but all the fundraising. Development. Development, thank you. I knew I would lose the word. So I'm on the development committee as a parent and actively involved in that, which is very exciting. And I know that that's a value that I got from my parents. It's not something I just randomly did because I watched growing up both of you being so actively involved in so many ways on boards, um, not just my father, my mother was very actively involved from church education to being a Girl Scout leader. I, I can't even count all the things she did. In many ways, she was the reason you could achieve so much at work because she had the whole household running smoothly. Well, I think we told you over the years that we'd spend our last dollar on educating you and your brother, and we'll spend our last dollar now that you and your brother are educated on your children. So needless to say, it continues to be the passion that drives us. And it's great. And it's funny because my daughter, your granddaughter, said to me that she was floored that I was taking this final exam and that I was still in school at age 55. And I've gone back to take coach training. And it's because I just love to learn. I'm my, my sort of my life motto is always be learning. So here yeah. I am, 55, <laughs> struggling through school, taking finals at the same time she was. And she was just floored. She's like, Mom, why are you even continuing to get educated? And I, I you know, who I think of, I think of Aunt Mabel. Aunt Mabel. Taking economics 101 in her late 80s or early 90s because she wanted to see if it had changed. Yeah, I think it was actually late 70s, early 80s, but yes. And she had continued on with it. And what she had said was she had gone to school before Keynes. And of course, Keynesian economics is what mm. I learned when I was in business school. So. That's really amazing to me that she was doing that. I don't know if you remember it, but she actually started by taking math so that she would be able to get caught up on how the math would work in order to study Keynesian economics. I, I mean, God bless her. She had to be like early 80s when she did that. She was fun because we would go to uh, restaurants, places that you didn't like. That's <laughs> all I recall. You used to say they'd serve dog, which was very funny, which is also not true. And she would talk all about the places she had traveled. And I think a huge part of education is travel. And we can talk about that because you've traveled with my mother all over the world. I've gotten the great privilege to be able to travel quite a bit. So how about your favorite travel spot? Oh, I don't know if I have a favorite travel spot. Uh, I'm biased by 41 years spent working in New York City. So there's still an attraction to New York that's uh, sort of addictive that you have to pull the needle out of your arm to walk away from it. The other great cities, and there are too many to even talk about uh, but I loved London. I loved Vienna. I loved Venice to mm. walk around and just see what was going on. 
There are so many marvelous cities in the world. And back to education, Catherine, as you well know, if you stop living, stop learning, you're you're not living. Uh, probably is just as good a way of wording it. Keep learning as long as you're alive. I agree with that. I think it keeps the mind sharp, even though I think my mind started to go a bit, uh, which is another story for another day. Uh, the travel piece, as you know, we started to take our daughter traveling around, I think around age 11. She'd been a couple places like Mexico, et cetera. But somewhere around age 10, 11, I decided it was time to start getting some proverbial stamps in the passport. And we took her on a cruise from Belize and Honduras and then into Mexico and got her that experience. And of course, Europe before the pandemic in 2019. And when we were there, we fell in love with the south coast of Portugal, the Algarve. And I would go back there tomorrow in a heartbeat. It was absolutely a wonderful experience. The reason I bring that all up is because there's going to be this opportunity as they get older to the grandchildren to travel more. And we're seeing that with my niece, your grand other granddaughter, as she's a little bit older, she's getting to go some more interesting places. So I'm hoping that my daughter will do the same, that she'll have that opportunity. I think there's she could do travel abroad through college to do a internship abroad to do a semester abroad. All of that would be phenomenal. Well, I've encouraged her to stick with Spanish because she's very good at languages. And given what she wants to do in her career, which is to work for the FBI, who saw that coming, a language would be wonderful. And there's certainly no reason she couldn't do a junior abroad. So fingers crossed. We'll see where she goes. She's still in high school. So we got a long way to go on that. Obviously, she's got these experiences this summer in Washington, D.C., studying forensic science. So we'll see where that goes. It'll be a good chance to find out, is it really what she loves? I can't wait to question her after those two internships this summer. It's going to be really amazing. So education, huge part of my growing up, of continuing. In fact, just this morning, I was looking at yet another course. Actually, one of the things I have to do is make sure I don't take too many courses at a time because I need time to, to work and take care of my family. Talk a little bit about some of the lessons I learned growing up, like in Wall Street, handshake is bond. Word is your bond. Where are we now with some of those kinds of things? Well, I think in my own case, it goes all the way back to high school years and college years where both uh, institutions that I went to had honor codes. And I think you face that too in your education. Now, whether it's as relevant today as it was then, the background, the ability to learn and honesty and ethics started in your teen years, which is something that I wish there were more of today. As it proceeds into a Wall Street, and and I play something back for you that you are very much aware of, in, in the good old days, if you broke the rules at the New York Stock Exchange, They stopped trading in the middle of the day. They rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. They read off the list of your crimes. You were escorted off the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Today, that would be considered politically incorrect. To then, in reference to thinking to today, 
I think it probably had as big an impact on my willingness to not break the rules, uh, knowing that one could be escorted off publicly and perhaps lose the opportunity to have a wonderful job and or living. I actually didn't know that. Ah. Wow. How did I ever miss that? I knew people got in trouble. And I remember working when I was at Susquehanna with Drew and there were point increment trading. And I, I'm forgetting the rules. It's been so long. But something about you had to have 300 shares, pass hands within an eighth of whatever. I don't remember what the whole rule was, but I remember the, do you remember the rule? Yeah, there were depth guidelines for trading stocks. So when you were a market maker in the, in, once again, in the good old days of trading in the Spanish piece of eight, today we trade in pennies or fractions of pennies. Actually, uh, you will see transactions cross the ticker tape to four decimal points to the right. Uh, that is the penny side of the equation. It's much more fun to earn money on the left side of the decimal point where uh, the numbers can be bigger. But the ability in those days to make a decent living on less volume was great because we traded in that larger increment. Today, the volume is so much more dramatic that you have many more opportunities, but for a lesser possible uh, bottom line figure. Right. So that story, now that you've explained how it all worked, thank goodness, was that Drew and some other folks I was working with came to me and said, can you take a look at all these and see if we're actually in violation? Because we're pretty sure we're not. And I remember just spending hours pouring through trading sheets, looking through and really adding everything up by hand and ultimately discovered that we weren't in violation, which was great, thank goodness, and then going in and proving our case. And and I don't want to call it winning, but not getting in trouble. So that's a win. One of the benefits of technology is the computer would do that all for you now and save you <laughs> multiple hours worth of labor, if you will. Absolutely, unquestionably. Thank God for Excel spreadsheets. Right. Although I have to say I'm moving away from Excel, oh, get the horror, and more towards Google Sheets, because one of the things I found out, and someone out there in the world of Excel can probably correct me on this, is that when we work in Google Sheets, my admin and I together, we don't mess each other up. But in Excel, what will happen is it will make a new document, which has been driving me nutty, because so often now I use Google Spreadsheets for an entirely different thing, which is to keep track of words data or image data as opposed to running a PL. Because the fact is I have a bookkeeping, I don't know what you want to call it. Staff sounds a little ridiculous for a small business, but I do. I've hired something called Bench and they do all my bookkeeping for me in the background. I provide all the information. So I don't need spreadsheets for that anymore. Another plus to technology. You get into all of this technology talk, you geeks leave me in, in, in the wilderness where I am with my bald head, uh, unwilling, if you will, to absorb all of the technology that you all deal with on a daily basis. No, it's changing so fast. And I'll just say the short version of Bench is imagine a combination of QuickBooks and another guy to manage the data in QuickBooks. Well, That's I understand QuickBooks. Short version. I knew you understood QuickBooks. There's a great story 
that I'll tell on myself many, many years ago when I first opened my business, my father said, power of education. My father said, I'm sending you for a QuickBooks training class. And so I said, thank you. And I went and spent two intensive days. I'll never forget it. In like a basement of a New York City building in the heat of summer, the air conditioning wasn't working and took these QuickBooks classes. And it came out and he said, well, what did you learn? And I said, I learned I need to hire a bookkeeper, which was not what you wanted to hear. (laughs) On all counts. But it was great. And it ended up being exactly the right thing to do because there are a lot of tax laws that I don't understand. And the bookkeeper has kept me out of trouble. I'm sure I could have quite inadvertently gotten myself in plenty of trouble if I hadn't had someone who was extremely knowledgeable about that. That being said, with an MBA, no issue with being able to follow a cash flow statement, income statement, or a P&L, which is really the bottom line in business is knowing how to make sure you're managing your money. Absolutely right. So and all good things. Your expenses and yep. trying to increase your revenues. So when you were president of the stock exchange, how did you keep it all running smoothly? With a very wonderful assistant, much like your bookkeeper, uh, one needs the assistant there to say, okay, Bill, it's time for uh, the next meeting. But in, in my case, being number two to a chairman CEO, my calendar was basically at the mercy of his calendar. And if he had three appointments and needed me to take one because he was running late or something had happened, uh, I could throw my calendar in the trash because his calendar was more important. One of the things you learn about being number two in a business. Oh, absolutely. Unquestionably, which is why I like being my little bitty business and being number one. (laughs) But I do have a virtual admin and I have a deadline that I have to meet by tomorrow. And at the beginning of the week, she's a brand new virtual admin. And at the beginning of the week, I said to her, the most important thing you can do this week is make sure I get this done by the deadline on Friday. So this morning at about 5.30 a.m., I got a ping on my phone and it said, have you done it yet? (laughs) And the answer is no, but it's next on the calendar, the schedule for what I do. And I'm very grateful for that because the fact is the day can get away from you. We can get busy. And next thing you know, a deadline that was really important has gone by. So always grateful to admins in our world. That is for sure. Last question. What's your favorite productivity pointer? Well, I think that all depends on your age and where you are in your career. When I quit in 2003, the issue was, is where could I be productive in the real world? Where could I give back And I'm talking about giving back less economically than giving back some of what I had learned in business or learned in relationships. One thing you learn at the New York Stock Exchange and the job that I have, that you have a lot of constituents. Mm. You've got buy side, you've got sell side, you've got listed companies, you've got unlisted companies, you've got different types of traders on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, all of whom have different desires and different needs. So keeping all of those political balls juggling in the air was helpful to me as I retired. 
because I could go teach the same kind of thing, if you will, to those your age, your generation that were now CEOs running their own businesses, whatever. Excellent. Love it. I think that's so important. I think it's important for people to realize there's life after retirement. And it doesn't have to just be that you sit and watch TV. There's a lot of things you can do out there and still be really helpful to others to give back after and you know an, an illustrious or non-illustrious career, no matter what it is. In your case, of course, illustrious. Well, I hope so. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really grateful to you. It was super fun to celebrate the 101st episode with my dad. I hope you all have enjoyed it and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.